Hi everybody. Welcome back to Spoken Word with Electronics. We're at episode 18 and this week I'd like to discuss my favorite riot. My favorite riot is the calendar riots of 1752. What's best about this particular set of riots is that they may never have ever happened. Riots that never happen or are unproven live in our consciousness forever like dreams. And this riot is about a sudden absence of 11 days. The loss of days reminds me of one of my favorite jokes. Have you ever tried to eat a clock? It's very time consuming. This week we're going to talk about the Calendar Act of 1750, when the British government stole 11 days from every citizen of its empire, including 11 days damage done to the American colonies. Subsequently, if you live in America or Britain, you can always live in two separate timelines. Today is today, or today is 11 days ago. It's up to you. Today is today, or today is 11 days ago. It's up to you. Here's a movie trailer describing the Calendar Act. 270 years ago, September 14th would immediately follow September 2nd. Charlton Heston stars in The 11 Day Why. And why is a great question. This was a bit of accounting on Britain's part. They were going to consolidate the Gregorian calendar with the Julian calendar. To properly align things, these 11 days would never occur. And it gets weirder. New Year's Day had typically occurred on March 25th. We'll address that. And now a new year would begin on January 1st. That probably feels a little familiar. Although, 1750 would also happen twice, but the second 1750 would only last three months. This is sort of like fixing a home's foundation by shoving in stubs of cardboard and various cracks back and forth as the foundation shifts back and forth in a waddle, and then yanking out the front door to ease a little weight on the back. Some people, like a history teacher that had a permanent effect on my way of thinking, suggested the Calendar Act actually started the American Revolution. He offered that American colonialists were probably baffled by this and who wants to put up with such uptight insanity. This is how you shift from one calendar to another. Probably not. The easier answer would have been just to stop the Julian calendar and send everyone in the British Empire a copy of the Gregorian calendar. Problem solved. But apparently, at least in 1752, that was not the British way. The Calendar Act even included a possible series of protests, which are collectively called the Calendar Riots. And being a possible, non-existing riot makes it even better to me. A riot that never happened could be a riot that has never stopped. The Calendar Riots are an imaginary riot about a perceived theft of 11 days. Or 
the calendar riots are a real riot about a perceived theft of 11 days. Or the calendar riots are a still ongoing complaint about real loss of experience and an attack from an authority that controls and structures our time. One possible result of the calendar riot, in fact, is America is now a free country, free to destroy itself over flagrantly ignoring health concerns without rule of law from Britain, which has noticeably been managing this COVID nonsense much better. Just compare Britain's COVID graph to American COVID graphs on Google and you'll notice a very different world both uh, countries are experiencing. But when Britain lorded over America, the Brits got very fussy and it eventually pushed them out. So the calendar riot is my favorite riot, even if it doesn't exist or especially because it doesn't exist. We'll discuss that this week. And it makes me curious, what's your favorite riot? Picking a favorite riot, of course, is a personal decision. I don't expect you to share your favorite riot with me or with anyone. That's private. But maybe you have one or two. There's riots that matter. Riots that force the world's attention on an issue. Political ones. Right now, we should be rioting on some level over Trump's trash fire of protecting the country. But that's a catch-22 due to the disease. Or I guess uh, not a catch-22, but a catch-COVID-19. We need to riot separately and unseen together. We need to outlive Trump and any visible display of force in terms of a riot with anger would immediately benefit him in the election. So it's a bit of a riddle. Riots that destroy neighborhoods are unpopular. But our world is so insane, they can be needed as useful tools. We're certainly in a period where loud talk is the only way to get attention, sadly. They can speak for the disempowered and communicate fury. If a riot happens, it usually means a lot of hurt has already been communicated in some formal context for decades. And that hurt has not been valued or addressed so then it naturally turns to anger. This happens in relationships, so why can't it happen in cities? Most people consider that category to be what a riot describes, communicating anger. And America has some very painful riots in this category. Destroying a landscape can sometimes be necessary to scream out an urgent message. Even if the news is always going to bias the coverage to just that one camera shot of people stealing TV sets, usually with a helicopter hovering above, that shot has become so stereotypical it's called the riot shot, or overhead looters. And in film speak, it's a kind of shot where you want to describe an overhead view of hysteria. Funny enough, there's usually two views of the looting, one above and one across the street. So it's a mix of A-B footage, A-slash-B footage, meaning two separate pieces of footage. Do you ever scrutinize the news for where the reporter and camera is located in a live shot? How do they have those two cameras prepared for that, you might wonder. 
It's a fun thing to start noticing. And here's another thing to start noticing. Did you know that when riots break out, very often a news station will set up in front of a department store anticipating such a looting will occur to secure the second camera shot before the neighborhood is closed off to access? I've often felt that if the same effort was placed in securing a space or a podium for an activist group to speak to cameras during a public conflict, there's a chance the store would never get looted. In fact, some progress could be made, but that's not news. News is waiting for those same activist groups to be tackled by a group of cops or the department store to get looted. News is competing with other news for the best footage. Big news is an all-cap headline of those savage looters running away with your diamonds and daughters, your home ablaze in smoke and flames. Riots like this with damage and theft sell ads and make for great ratings. I always feel bad for things getting so out of control that a riot occurs because there's little that can be done to control the message at that point once it starts to become looting and flames. And once you've lost control of the message, others will manipulate interpretations of what you're doing or saying. Riots can be for a lot of reasons, though. They're not all bad. There can be laugh riots, for example. That's the phrase for a really funny experience. Oh, that show was a laugh riot. You can read someone a riot act. That's a phrase to disperse a crowd. It's actually a declaration from England as well. It's from Parliament going back to the 1700s, which is a common time with the Calendar Act. The Riot Act bans a group of 12 or more people. You read them the Riot Act to disperse them. Works most times. Gutenberg.org has an audio recording of the Riot Act being read, including an MP3 which they declare to be in the public domain. Here's a little bit of the Riot Act being read. A word of caution, though. You might feel compelled to leave the room once you hear some of this. It's that effective. Here, I'll read the Riot Act to you. The British Parliament. A word of warning, however. The Riot Act itself is synambulistic, in that hearing it might cause you to fall asleep. This is the strength of British declarations. The Riot Act. 1714-1715. An act for preventing tumults and riotous assemblies and for the more speedy and effectual punishing the rioters. Whereas of late many rebellious riots and tumults have been in diverse parts of this kingdom, to the disturbance of the public peace and the endangering of His Majesty's person and government, and the same are yet continued and fomented by persons disaffected to His Majesty, presuming to do so, for that the punishments provided by the laws now in being are not adequate to such heinous offences. And by such rioters his majesty and his administration have been most maliciously and falsely traduced, 
with an intent to raise divisions and to alienate the affections of the people from His Majesty. I fell asleep. Did, did you fall asleep? The riot act is like a sleeping pill. Damn, don't mess with British decrees. Weird riots. Weird riots. There are, however, riots of such a joyful absurdity that they are unique. The 1788 Doctors' Riot involved grave robbing in New York, with a mob storming into the New York hospital because it was discovered that corpses were being pulled out of the earth. We don't need that happening during COVID, blaming doctors for this sort of thing, so it's good to know that doctors aren't doing this anymore. Doctors of today are heroes, not grave robbers. To make matters worse, most of the corpses that were exhumed were African-American and possibly former slaves. Their bodies, in various states of decomposition, were getting yanked out of the ground and studied for science. A child looked inside a window of a New York hospital and found a doctor playing with a dismembered arm, which may or may not have belonged to the young boy's dead mother. Imagine that, your mom's dead arm in the arms of another man. Of course the boy told his dad, and they dug up her grave, and it was empty. The whole town of New York took the pitchforks on that one. I guess you could call them a one-armed army. Sorry about that joke. <laughs> uh, this, uh, this corpse stuff is serious. I guess my arm joke didn't have a leg to stand on. Those puns make me want to play a game of six body part jokes in three sentences. Can you top my six body part jokes in three sentences? How about you foot the bill on that joke and I'll hand you the money. Head out in that direction and don't look back. Not sure if there's any bone jokes as funny as a humorous not wanting to waste your time. Those are my six body part jokes in three sentences. If you'd like to play a game of how many body part jokes can you make in three sentences, send us your entries. The doctor's riot of 1788 was pretty serious stuff though. A pretty wild riot where suddenly all doctors in New York were hunted down by a mob of 2,000 screaming furious people and storming into what they called the dissection room. It challenged our respect for doctors as a profession, and in part, it also challenged our view of science and medicine as not being some creepy kind of macabre thing, and it was part of the body snatching era. You can look up body snatching. It's not just a science fiction film from the 50s. Pretty wild thing, and there's a cool uh, Boris Karloff movie about body snatching. And it's a Val Luton movie. Very good stuff, those Val Luton movies. Another interesting New York one is the Anti-Rent War, a sustained set of riots and protests from 1839 to 1845. It even led to a political party called the Anti-Rent Party. Uh, the rent is too damn high. Kind of regret that that war petered out. Maybe we wouldn't have rent anymore. 
those two examples are pretty good riots. Uh, the reputation for doctors was bruised, but it recovered in time. But I'm not sure landlords ever survived their anti-rent war. Maybe you know of another peculiar riot. As for my favorite riot, which I've been talking about, I will say this. No riots still hold a candle to my favorite riot. The beautiful calendar riots of 1752. They're still ongoing and the flames may never die down. My favorite riot. As stated at the beginning of this, my favorite riot is a group of small protests across the world, collectively called the Calendar Riots of 1752. This wonderful set of protests happened nearly 270 years ago and they're still unique. It was a mind war, even down to the questionable veracity of the riots themselves ever occurring. A protest over a pure concept, a loss that couldn't be returned, and an insult. It's very inconsiderate to take away a day. Its coverage of American outbursts is less discussed. But in America, it was when many absurd laws were communicated to colonies from Britain. Amid crazy issuances, suddenly a law arrived that deleted 11 days from your life. It was the conceptual beginning of the end for British rule of America, too, even if they didn't quite know it. Because if they can just remove 11 days from your life, what's to stop them from doing something even worse? I'm sure some called it witchcraft, particularly those who fell asleep drunk on the 3rd and woke up on the 14th, or fell asleep on the 2nd. We were only 50 or so years after the witch trials when this had occurred, incidentally, so witch burnings were as close in someone's mind as 1970 is to us today. You're still listening to music from 1970 and reading books from that time. And you might even be learning about disease management from 1970, including vaccines and other prevention. <laughs> Uh, including vaccines and other prevention from that time that seems to exceed our present-day mindset. I think uh, measles were taken care of in 1970, but I could be wrong. So, viewing time disappearance in 1752 at the time as an act of witchcraft isn't too far-fetched. The Calendar Act feels resonant to today's experiences, too a perception of lost time that won't be returned to us. That might resonate. A perception of lost time that won't be returned to us. That might resonate. Did you know our body has a pretty good timekeeper right inside the middle of your skull? It's called the hypothalamus. The hypothalamus is a small region of the brain, but it's really cool. It's located at the base of the brain, near the pituitary gland, and it's very small, but it plays a crucial role in many important functions, including releasing hormones, regulating body temperature, feeling things, stuff like that. The hypothalamus is located just below the thalamus, and above the pituitary gland, and it sort of dangles on a small stalk, or so. 
our hypothalamus is approximately the size of a pea. It is 1% of the weight of the brain, so you could trade your brain in for 100 hypothalamus. Or in a way, it's sort of the pearl inside our oyster. If humans were harvested for our hypothalamus, like oysters are for pearls, there'd be a lot of wasted parts. They throw a lot of the human away. But we have rich nutrients and metals in our body too, along with some good carbon. The jewelry of the body is probably our rare pieces like hypothalamus, eyeballs, and oddly our intestines, our amazing ribbons when unfurled. Probably make some nice curtains. Lots of parts of our brain do amazing things, and the hypothalamus regulates time for us. One of the major functions of the hypothalamus is to maintain homeostasis, which is to keep our human body stable, and timekeeping is a part of this. All this is to say is we have a clock inside that is its own calendar, which is why abrupt changes in time like the deletion of hours or days can feel physically incorrect. The hypothalamus is one of our master clocks. It's a sensor, really, kind of like a thermostat. It responds to internal and external environment, including body temperature, hunger, feelings. It tells you to feel full after eating, for example. Thanks, hypothalamus. It also responds to stress and controls our daily bodily rhythms such as nighttime secretion of melatonin from the pineal gland and the changes in cortisol, which is our stress hormone. The hypothalamus collects and combines this information into a regulated system and puts changes in place to correct any imbalances. It's a wonderful part of the brain, and it looks like a small marble right near the middle of your mind. And basically put, the hypothalamus is your internal calendar. You do not need uh, Julius Caesar or Pope Gregory. Is your regulator and clocking system. It already knows what time of the day it is for you. When to wake up, when to go to bed. When to feel love or get upset. It's other parts of the brain that demand labels be applied to it being June or September or the 14th or the 9th. It could be argued that a change in time is a direct attack on an individual's right to hypothalamus themselves. You've been surviving off this internal system the last four months, by the way. <laughs> if you've managed to get off the clock completely at home, um, you are on hypothalamus time and maybe your body has been teaching you about your own preferred rhythm on when you wake, eat, or think. I'm referring to our circadian rhythm, too. I personally prefer nights, and my whole life has been in conflict with day rules. The world lives by day hours. If I was the ruler of England and decreed all days become night, it would likely disrupt a lot of people. This is why I personally don't send out new rules to millions of people, or uh, set up colonies. That's a courtesy I provide to all of you, and I thank you for returning the same courtesy yourselves. Thanks. So time disruption can mean a lot of things. We're restructuring our sense of time right now, and I hope some activists or future leaders listening see this as an opportunity to restructure the world correctly.
Maybe in some way, COVID is marking the beginning to an end of other rule of law on American citizens, too. I'd like hypothalamus rights. You might wonder where all this is coming from. I'm talking to you today about the Calendar Act because it was taught to me as a historical tangent 30 years ago. My high school teacher felt the calendar riots occurred, and he liked to see them as a catalyst for shaking off British rule of our minds. So, I was introduced to the calendar riots in high school. This wasn't common to be taught in America. Wasn't a part of our textbooks. I had a brilliant Western civilization teacher who had written a number of books himself, but I don't believe he was ever published. He would talk about his unpublished books with pride. Not that they were failures, but that they were successes. Acts of expression, I suppose. And I liked the guy a whole lot. I think he read his own books for his own pleasure. Great guy. His name was Mr. Connors. Mr. Connors liked to find uncommon history to be included in his own writing and research and I think he prized himself on finding history not found in textbooks. So to teach us about American independence, he taught us about the Calendar Act, which he described as one example of many rude British gestures collectively referred to as what he called a group of insults. It was insults, he suggested, not taxation, that brought about American independence. The Declaration of Independence itself has a list of grievances, too, if you've never read it. Very funny. I'll talk about it in a moment. So he's not that far off in this theory. It was an emotional time, the 1700s. I always get the sense that the 1700s were kind of like the 1960s. Americans were feeling things really strongly, and that can be dangerous to keep a lid on. Mr. Connors was forced to teach us about taxation as a cause for American independence in his curriculum and other sorts of weird Second Amendment stuff. But you really knew where his heart was on the subject. The true reason we're no longer a colony, he taught us, was that the British annoyed us and that the British insulted us, so we kicked them out. That doesn't look as noble or brave as uh, fights over taxation without representation from a foreign land, but it makes more sense to me. They annoyed us doesn't speak well for establishing the Second Amendment, too. We need gun rights to speak to gigantic threat, after all. It's dangerous to the structure of this country to consider us just annoyed instead of threatened. So there's some flaws in revealing America's great fight for freedom is an emotional reaction, possibly a selfish reaction, as opposed to a primitive, brave one. But there's a chance that we were just like, hey, uh, Britain, get the fuck out. You're bugging us. So we kicked them out. This was before the internet for Mr. Connors, and I'm not sure if he ever submitted his work to journals. But that sort of publishing process is so unreasonable, how could a high school teacher ever be taken seriously? But he had an effect on me. I'll explain a few things in a moment. So without any publishing outlet, he was relegated to sharing his discoveries and opinions 
through teaching history to high school students. The concept of annoyance is a silly one, but I'll give you an example in a moment of a teaching style he employed that had a far-reaching effect on me, much more than any other professor ever has. Apparently, Western civilization, as a title for a class, is no longer an applicable, politically correct term, and I apologize for using it. But that was the name of the class, and it was a great class. Western civilization is criticized as a phrase because it puts the West on a pedestal. If that's the case, it sure as hell was not mentioned to Mr. Connors. One student asked him once why we didn't learn about Eastern civilization. His answer was blunt. The East has thousands of years more culture than the West and are far more elegant and intelligent, he once told us. And he continued, none of you are intelligent enough to learn any Eastern culture. (laughs) I uh, think Mr. Connors was from Middle America, by the way. Uh, This is how teaching should have stayed. You know, I loved his unhappiness and he seemed exuberantly comfortable within his opinions. Mr. Connors was, uh, was top, was top of the class, man. One day he spoke about Rome falling and how America will one day fall. Actually, he said this very often. He talked about Rome falling and how America will one day fall. He said America had no chance at lasting as long as Rome survived. And he filled my mind with ideas about a failed America, which he always smiled about too. And he was a patriot. Can you imagine this happening today with uh, modern controlled teaching? This was a public high school class. Great guy. Mr. Connors iterated his thesis often that Rome fell, and so will America, and to prepare for it. That was wild to hear. I didn't even have my driver's license when I took his class, yet I think I was 15. Can you imagine how much better a society, America, would be if we were always reminded of its fragile nature? What would our perceptions of grandeur as the best country in the world be if every day the news opened up with, Welcome to American TV. Rome fell and one day we might too. Let's get to the news. If that message was communicated every day, American might treat the world a lot better than it does. Instead, people watch news where it says, Welcome to the best place on the planet, and we're leading right now in the world in death. But I got the message about Rome falling and America eventually falling every day in Western Civ class. America is about to find itself unable to visit the rest of the planet for possibly a year or even a decade, incidentally. We might be closed off to the rest of the world with a big you are not welcome sign from every country. Not sure Americans realize we can't leave. This isn't a question of economics. Uh, I don't mean that we can't take a vacation. It's a question of possible safety. You won't be able to leave America due to COVID being so unmanaged. Fortunately, there's a lot of unpopulated land in the U.S., So I wonder about Montana and the Dakotas receiving a bunch of new residents once we're a sealed country. Just another thing to remind yourself about with the upcoming election and the need to grab back control of this mess. Jumping back to high school, however, 
Mr. Connors was exactly why the public education was better in the 1980s and 1990s. We sort of had annual tests, but they didn't really mean much. They were usually announced a week before. I think they were called the Iowa tests. And I remember them partly, but they were no big deal. Nothing was ever taught with a qualifier that this will be on your yearly test. And uh, you just had to sort of get grades. But each class instead belonged to each teacher, uh, and it often had very little oversight on what they had to teach and how. Nowadays, opinionated teachers are shamed and fired for veering off the approved syllabus and talking points. All you have is a machine line of the same class everywhere being taught, and every class teaching for a homogenized test. The removal of sharp opinions is why America is getting less critical and more stupid. One day, Mr. Connors talked about America breaking from British rule. It was the first time I'd ever seen a teacher laugh at a textbook. Everyone in the text here says America broke free from England. Uh, what does the text say as to why? One brave hand went up and offered the textbook reason. Taxation? Trick question, Mr. Connors said, smiling at the student. No, we're told it was taxation. But truth will change over your life. So I'd like to encourage you to be critical readers. Is America anti-tax, he asked. Does anyone here have a job, Mr. Connors asked. Two or three of the students who were 16 did, and they raised their hand, and he asked them each how much they were paid. One mentioned $200 every paycheck. I think he worked at a grocery store. He asked if that student got all of it. Of course not, said the student. Why not, he asked, and taxes, said the student. Very good. Why would a country break free from some idea and then reinstitute it, he asked. Everyone was confused. This is the life-changing moment I was alluding to a moment ago. Let me restart. Why would a country break free from some idea and then reinstitute it, he asked. Everyone was confused. No, it's called the Declaration of Independence, he said, emphasizing the independence part. What is independence a break from, he asked. You could tell he was excited to share something. Mr. Connors ebbed and flowed from quiet and calculating to sudden and insistent. And this was one of those sudden moments. It's fun when a teacher is leading you to some larger idea. And then he wrote a life-changing set of seven letters on the chalkboard. C-O-N-T-R-O-L. He tapped out the word control with the last of a piece of chalk and then turned to us and said, You don't seek independence from a tax or a bill. You seek independence from control. Mr. Connors felt... America broke from England because of perceived control, and I think I was raised in the last generation of U.S. students that were allowed to have a teacher veer off as far as he did in public school, and very wonderfully skate into personal opinion as he did, and to my delight, I learned from him. He then pulled a binder out with a bunch of different examples of small insults that the British had done to control America under their rule prior to being booted out of the country. We'd covered the stuff in the textbook, he told us, so all this would be extra credit. 
It would just be discussion and anything we wanted to write about it as a reaction would get us a spare 10 points. British annoyance seemed to be Mr. Connor's pet subject, uh, but it was more about authority systems than prejudice. With British annoyance as an example, I'm sure there's plenty of American annoyances the world over, too, so this isn't an, an anti-British piece. But this would be on the British Empire not knowing how to keep America in its good graces. And he listed a number of small events which he said combined to a general perception of the British as being a nuisance. It was the first time in my life I'd ever heard the word discordant, which I wrote down. It would later ring a bell when I read the Principia Discordia, incidentally. I picked those books up because of the discord word. Got into Minor Threat because of the record label too, Discord. Discord is a good word to look for in various configurations as a signpost to follow. It's a clue that something might be worth focusing upon. British rule was discordant with American society, Mr. Connors offered. Their entire way of thinking had become disharmonious with the heavy feeling and crazy romanticism developing around forming an American country. I often wonder if there was some good psychedelic mushrooms going around at the time. <laughs> the rigid laws and rules that gripped into the colonies was ultimately what brought about our succession, but more simply, sorry Britain, you're super nice and very well dressed, but it just isn't working out. I suppose if Britain was America's boss, it just micromanaged itself out of power. This happens in jobs. The more your boss tries to control you, the less control they actually possess. This part of the emotional reaction isn't taught very often. We're only taught pragmatic reasoning. Everything has to be justified. So the Declaration of Independence was largely about taxation and harsh bullying and self-protection. It was not anything to do about just Britain being annoying. It was that afternoon's lecture that he then spoke about the Calendar Act of 1750 and the resulting calendar protests of 1752. It was Mr. Connor's perspective that the riots did occur, and he might have mentioned the few pieces of suggestive proof that they exist, including an awesome painting titled An Election Entertainment by William Hogarth from 1755. Apparently the anger involved screaming, give us back our 11 days, like they were being held hostage or were stolen. I've never forgot about the calendar riots. It's such an abstract idea. Where can days go? And after you've removed them, and you're in the new days, how can they be returned? I'll explain the two calendar systems that brought about the act in a minute. It was to realign timekeeping with the Gregorian calendar and proceed with a clean break from the Julian calendar. But it looks like what um, was a British decision was to realign the Julian calendar, not just switch to the Gregorian calendar. And that decision was so British, it helped to identify discordant differences between the two cultures, the American colonies and Britain that indicated their priorities on efficiency versus sensitivity, which I think uh, America was probably a greatly sensitive place at the time. I think uh, if you are a refugee, it's because you're sensitive. If you're running away to a different country, it's because you're sensitive. 
if you're staying where you're put and you're managing, you're efficient. And so I think taking 11 sensitive days away from your life, that could be almost cause for divorce right there. How dare you? I like to think sometimes about the founders of the Constitution, stoned on pot and stuffed with turkey, drunk on wine in their hemp sweaters and getting as deep as they were into writing those documents. Man, you know, if you've never really read the Declaration of Independence, there's some deep feelings there. It's an Al Green song in a lot of places. I've always enjoyed the part of the Declaration of Independence called our 27 Grievances. It's a list of complaints to Britain saying why we're breaking up with them. It's very funny and pompous. There was no uh, need for it to be included. It's not like, thank you for your Declaration of Independence, please include your list of grievances in Section 6. But if you can look up the grievances of the United States Declaration of Independence, that's the full title. Grievances of the United States Declaration of Independence. If you've never heard of them. Some experimental composer could do a good concept album covering grievances 1 through 27 as a concept. But grievance 28 isn't there. And it should be, and it should be called for breaking up our sense of time and deleting 11 days from our existence. Grievance number 28 would be about the Calendar Act. It's about perception of time and the rude grip of government law to control our experiences and natural rhythms. I've never forgotten about the Calendar Act because it says more about our sanity as humans and some humans need for proper timekeeping over other humans need for life and moments. I haven't forgotten about the Calendar Act, nor have I forgotten the all-caps rendering of control on the wall, written so sharp into the green chalkboard that it took days and subsequent chalkboard cleans to fade away. So let's jump to track two, where I'll tell you all about the Calendar Act. <laughs> 